we're about halfway through a series that I've been doing that's based on questions that you guys have submitted. Uh, some have come from this congregation. Others have come in online. Um, I think this is the second hardest of all the messages in this uh, series. And um, there are a couple that are hard to talk about. I think this is probably the second hardest one. Several people turned in cards um, asking, what's up with Christian nationalism? And, and this isn't, I'm going to have to define it because I think some of you are probably scratching your heads and saying, I'm not even sure what that is. Um, but it's not unusual that someone asked this question. Because if you study Google searches, you'll see that over the last year, the number of people who've been searching for information on Christian nationalism has been going up uh, steadily, and it shot up on January 6th in conjunction with the attack on our capital, uh, prompted by images like this one, uh, showing some of those who stormed the capital praying for God's uh, blessing on their efforts, uh, some even implying that they were reclaiming the nation uh, for Christ. Shane Claiborne, a person who I respect a lot and consider a good friend, uh, he has been here as a, a speaker when I first got started, said this, Christian nationalism is a heresy. What we saw manifest itself in the insurrection on the Capitol is the most recent deadly fruit of this heresy. It is a threat to democracy and it is a threat to orthodox Christian faith. I think the question, what's up with Christian nationalism, is really kind of a summary of a whole bunch of questions that are rattling around in our minds. Is America a Christian nation or is it a nation based on freedom of religion? What does separation of church and state mean for followers of Jesus Christ? How much should we rely on the government to support Christian beliefs and values? Should the country be equally involved in promoting the beliefs and values of our non-Christian citizens? Who is responsible for the advance of Christianity, the church or the state? Now let me give you a few definitions um, as we get started. First definition is of something good, and that is a definition of patriotism. Patriotism is a healthy love for our country, and it's a good thing. It's an expression of gratitude for what God has, has blessed us with. But our patriotism needs to be a mature and, and healthy patriotism. One that is grateful for all of the blessings that we enjoy and, and celebrates the positive things about our heritage, but is also honest about our mistakes and is able to acknowledge some of our weaknesses. I think that the Apostle Paul is a good example of um, what healthy patriotism looks like. Romans 9 through 11, uh, in chapters 9 through 11 of Romans, Paul pours out his love for his fellow Jews, uh, the people of the nation. Talks about how proud he is to be Jewish and how much he loves his fellow Jewish people. But then when you get to Philippians chapter 3, um, he boasts about his Jewish heritage and then says, uh, and this is a passage that Heather read for us, but now I consider it worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, 
I've declared everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I may gain Christ. In essence, what Paul is saying is, I love my country and its people, but my national identity is worthless. I even consider it garbage compared to my identity in Jesus Christ. Our identity in Christ uh, surpasses everything. And a good test for our loyalty to Christ is, am I, am I as excited about him and promoting the gospel and talking about the kingdom of heaven as I am my country? So now let me de define nationalism. Uh, taken to an extreme, nationalism is what we saw with Hitler in the 1940s. We see it in places like North Korea today. It's a, a love of country that, that almost becomes a religion. Definition of nationalism is the belief that one's nation and its people are superior to others. Nationalism is based on pride and it leads to prejudice. It's based on the assumption that humanity can be divided into distinct cultural and ethnic groups and, that, and kind of an unspoken value of nationalism is the groups should remain separate. So these separate identities and we really ought to kind of keep them that way. Uh, in our case as Americans, there's often been a lot of overlap between nationalism and white supremacy. Uh, Jim Wallace wrote, Nationalism is not just a love for country. Rather, it pits the power of one nation against others, often with ideologies of racial superiority, and it has led to the worst violence in human history. So we've talked about patriotism. We've talked about nationalism. Now let me define Christian nationalism, and then we will dive into kind of what our reaction ought to be. Christian, Christian nationalism is a belief that the reason we are superior is because we are more Christian than other groups and that it is the government's role to keep it that way. The Conservative Gospel Coalition said, Christian nationalism is more of a visceral reaction than a chosen stance. It's something that we may not be able to articulate, we may not be able to explain it, but we just feel it in our gut. It, it, it's the air that we breathe sometimes, and it's an intense motion, emotional reaction that, that ties our faith and our love for our country together in some ways that, that sometimes are, are dangerous. Um, put simply, it's the belief that God is on our side and our nation is on God's side. One, one writer defined Christian nationalism as a belief that Christianity should enjoy a privileged position in the public square. And as I, as I read that definition, I thought, that sounds kind of good. I mean, who, who wouldn't want to have a privileged position in the public square? I mean, that sounds like a very a positive thing, to be favored above other faiths. And uh, I certainly, in our, in our personal commitment to our faith, that would be true, um, that we are personally committed to Christianity uh, far above and beyond any other faith alternative. So it's certainly true of us as individuals. Um, it assumes, here's one of the dangers, it assumes God's approval for everything we do and it assumes that our cause is always a righteous cause. That's why if you, if you remember your history, you may remember something called manifest destiny. Manifest destiny was a belief that, that God wants us to have this land so it's okay for us to kill a whole race of people to get it. 
That's a, that's a dangerous dark side of Christian nationalism. So let me ask a couple of questions. One question is, is it true, is it true that um, uh, our nation is a Christian nation or that, that it ought to be? And then the second question is, is it necessary? Uh, is it true? Was it the founder's desi desire that America should be a distinctly Christian nation? Well, first of all, not according to our Constitution. Um, when it comes to our Constitution, I was very surprised by something that I learned this week. It, it kind of shocked me. I was surprised to learn that there are no explicit references to God in our Constitution. And I thought that there were. And I think that what I was doing is I was confusing it with one line in the Declaration of Independence, which reads, We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So there's that mention of God in the Declaration of Independence. It's kind of a generic reference in that it assumes that everyone gets their right to liberty, life, liberty, and happiness from, from their God. It doesn't say the God. But I was surprised that it's not in the Constitution. I just thought that was the case. And what's interesting to me is that many of the people who are most insistent that we are a distinctly Christian nation also claim great loyalty to the Constitution. I know of a person uh, who, who goes around handing out copies of the Constitution and making the argument that, that America is a distinctly Christian nation and that the Constitution implies that when it doesn't apply to God and it certainly never mentions Christianity or Jesus uh, Christ. Some may argue that while the Founding Fathers, even if they didn't mention it, even if they didn't mention that we are a Christian nation in the Constitution and, and didn't kind of argue about that, we, maybe, they, maybe they, they, um, they just assumed it. It was just kind of assumed since they were all uh, Christians themselves that it would be a Christian nation. Well, one, that's a, that's a misunderstanding of the history of our founding fathers. There were a few who were Christian. George Washington appears to have been a, a devout follower of Jesus. His wife certainly was. There were some others who were. Um, but most were what were called either deists or rationalists. They believed that God created the universe and then stepped back. They didn't believe in the supernatural. Uh, Thomas Jefferson uh, actually said that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a pile of dung. Um, so when we assume that all of our Christian founders were, were motivated by a love for Jesus and a belief in the resurrection, it, it simply doesn't match history. The Constitution, the next point is not according to our founding fathers. The Constitution was ratified in 1798. And in, 1770, in 1796, eight years later, a problem arose. We were under attack by pirates, uh, mostly pirates from the Muslim countries of uh, Tripoli, Algiers, Tunisia, and Morocco. And it resulted in a document called the Treaty of Tripoli, which was a trade agreement that was passed unanimously by Congress, which included most of the founding fathers, and it was signed into law by John Adams. The entire Treaty of Tripoli is about a page long. There are 12 different articles, and I want to read uh, word for word the 11th one. So this is what was uh, was. 
uh, unanimously approved by Congress in 1797, including our founding fathers and John Adams. And they wrote, as the government, so here, let me give you some background. What they're trying to do is they're trying to say, we are going to protect ourselves from, from pirates, but we are not picking a fight with Muslim countries. So that's kind of the background of what's going on here. So here's what they wrote. As the government of the United States of America is not in any sense founded on the Christian religion, as it has in itself no character of enmity against the laws, the religion, or tranquility of Muslims, and as the states never have entered into any war or act of hostility against any Muslim nation, it is declared by the parties that no pretext arising from religious opinions shall ever produce an interruption in the harmony existing between our two countries. In other words, we're not going to fight about our faith. Um, we, are, we recognize your right to, to your faith. Uh, many of us are Christians, not all of us. Um, but but the, the statement was very clear, as the government of the United States of America is not in any sense founded on the Christian religion. That goes against almost everything that I have learned. That goes against what I, what I learned in school. So at, at best, it's a muddy relationship. And it's not as clear as many of us have assumed it to be. It's like with all, with all parts of history. We tend to glorify things that are, and we kind of forget some of the muddiness. We do that with our families. We do that with lots of things. And that happened in, in this case. Um, so those are a couple of questions. Is it true? And I would suggest that if, according to the Constitution, it isn't. And according to our founding fathers, it doesn't seem to be true that they wanted the nation to be explicitly a Christian nation above everything else. And that that's, was surprising to me until I dug back into history. Here's a more important question. Is it necessary? And I would say, number one, it's not necessary according to our Bible. Um, there's a passage in Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 18. And Jesus is asking Peter whether Peter believes that he is the Messiah. So straight up, Jesus says, um, uh, what about you? Uh, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by the Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, um, uh, Peter, that on this rock, the statement that Jesus is the Messiah, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. So we have this beautiful promise straight from Jesus that the, the gates of hell will not prevail against the advance of Christian faith and of, of the church. And, and we don't need to look to our government or any government to, to bring that to pass, we have it on the words of Jesus. So not according to the Bible, and also not according to Jesus or Paul. Uh, we've noted this many times. But, but Jesus and Paul are remarkably silent on nearly everything political. Um, Paul used the law to his advantage when he got into trouble, um, but he never sought Rome's approval for Christianity. Paul wanted to win Romans, uh, not Rome. And he's remarkably silent on, on this, um, on whether they tried to create a Christian nation. Matter of fact, Christianity kind of goes completely counter to this. 
Because Christianity is a response, a reaction against Judaism, which assumed that, that faith and a nation are all wrapped up in one thing. And what happened with the gospel of Jesus Christ is, I'm going to fulfill this promise to Abraham that, that, that a people are going to arise who are going to be a blessing to, to all nations, and the gospel is available to everyone, and Gentiles and, Samarit and uh, uh, Samarit Samaritans and people of all different backgrounds are welcome in. So what are the dangers of Christian nationalism? We, we've, I've given a couple definitions. Um, I, I don't think that we need it to prop up our faith. What are the dangers? Let me list a few dangers, and then we'll talk about a response. First danger is because um, when America behaves poorly, it taints the reputation of Jesus Christ. If you assume that they're one and the same, that, that our faith and our nationality are just wrapped so tightly together, then when our nation does things that it, that it shouldn't, shouldn't, it hurts the reputation of Jesus. And I think of things like the ethnic cleansing and genocide of Native Americans, some of which happened right here in the, in the state of Ohio. I think of the internment of the Japanese during World War II or the Malay massacre in Vietnam, the, the killing of students at Kent State, uh, slavery and, and Jim Crow. All, all things that are based on, on evils uh, that, that our country has had a, had, a, had a hand in and we tie it together and say God approves of us and we're on his side, some people have a hard time considering the claims of the gospel because they can't break that that connection. These things can't be reconciled with a love for Jesus. Here's the second danger. It assumes that God plays favorites. Um, and in the New Testament, as I just indicated, the idea that God has any favorite nation it is completely upended by the teaching of the New Testament. In Acts chapter 10, verses 34 and 35, um, G Peter has just been called to a meeting with a guy named Cornelius who is a Roman centurion, and uh, here's what it says. Then Peter began to speak, and Peter said, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. In uh, writing to the Christians in, uh, in uh, Galatia, Paul wrote, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Writing to the Christians in Rome, Paul wrote, For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and in all, and he richly blesses all who call on him. So the idea that there is a national favorite in the kingdom of heaven is a non-biblical idea. I mean, Paul specifically kind of chopped that one down a number of times. But the Bible doesn't seek to, to erase our ethnicity or our nationality. Um, if you read the book of, um, of Revelation, there are several places where one of the beautiful pictures of the kingdom of heaven is people of all nations and all languages and all tribes all worshiping at the same time. That's what heaven is going to be like. And whether we retain our sense of, oh, those, those are uh, uh, some um, Germans over there and those are some Americans over there, I don't know if we'll have that sense or not, but, but all of the nations will be worshiping together. And that's one of the beautiful pictures of heaven. So that's one of the dangers. Here's the third danger. 
Christian nationalism is a form of idolatry. Uh, Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 3 says, And God spoke these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Nationalism, whether it occurs in the United States or it occurs in North Korea or, or wherever, and it's not unique to just the United States. Other countries have this. So this isn't a, a uniquely American uh, challenge. Um, but but when, we, when we elevate uh, our country to the level of Christian nationalism, we begin to treat it as an idol. Luke chapter 14, verses 25 to 26 says, A large crowd was following Jesus. He turned around and he said to them, if you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else. Your father, your mother, your wife, your children, your brothers and sisters. Yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you can't be my disciple. We, we can't be a disciple of Jesus if we are putting anything equal or ahead of Jesus. And, and we know that Jesus didn't mean that he really wants us to hate our family members. That runs totally counter to all that Jesus demonstrated. Jesus made sure that there were people taking care of Mary after his death. Um, but the point, he, Jesus used hyperbole all the time. And that was one of his main teaching techniques. And what, what Jesus is saying is our love for Jesus needs to be so far ahead and above our love for everything, including even our nation and even our families, that it pales in comparison. So that's another danger of Christian nationalism. And then the last one that I'm going to mention is that because in the past, Christian nationalism has provided justification for unspeakable evils. Evil, evil, evil things have been done under the influence of Christian nationalism. I already mentioned the ethnic cleansing um, in the, in the name of Christian uh, destiny of Native Americans. And I've, I've tr I looked and looked and looked for a quote that I used in a sermon before. But it was someone actually saying a prayer as they went into battle to kill a, a whole community of Indians, men and women and children, do, saying we're doing this in the name of Jesus Christ and to advance his kingdom. Um, but there are some other examples. Um, espousing Christian nationalism, a person named Adolf Hitler said, uh, in boundless love, as a Christian and a human being, I read through the passage that tells us how the Lord arose at last in his might and seized the scourge to drive out of the temple a brood, a brood of vipers and adders. How terrific was his fight against the Jewish poison. Today, some 2,000 years later, with deepest emotion, I realize more profoundly than ever before the fact that it was for this that he had to shed his blood upon the cross. So Hitler tried to bathe the atrocities of the Holocaust in the fact that there was a Christian backing for the nation uh, at, at that time. There are examples that are closer to home. Uh, one, uh, one of the main uh, proponents of Christian nationalism would be the KKK. And if you go to their website, I'm just read a statement from their website. Our children, our race, and our nation have no future unless we unite and organize as white Christian patriots. This is a Christian organization, and none but Christians may join the KKK. Reverence for God and obedience to his commandments are the only true sources of wisdom and understanding. 
the foundations of America were laid by men who feared God and openly confessed the Lord Jesus Christ. They were moral and they lived a life shaped by obedience to the laws of God. We cannot hope to be successful if we are not in violation of God's word. Therefore, we obey it as our understanding declares it unto us. Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion hath light with darkness? Um, we love our Lord, we love our Savior, and we love our country. So those are, that's a dark side of Christian nationalism. And that's why there are many people raising a warning that we see more and more of this cropping up in our culture, and it is dangerous. So where do we go from here? What is our response? I want to just briefly, uh, very briefly suggest four things. Number one, we need to be very grateful for the blessings of being an, Amer of being, uh, an American. This is a wonderful place to live. The, the, the natural resources that are available, the beauty of the land, the, the freedoms that we enjoy, the opportunities uh, for people to advance themselves. Those are beautiful, positive things. Jesus said, I, I came so that people can have life more abundant. Jesus wants people to flourish. He wants to see people do well and to thrive and to live out what it means to bear his image. And in America, there are some wonderful opportunities to do that, and we should be very grateful. Second thing that we need to do in terms of going, uh, going forward is we shouldn't treat our love for God and our love for country as equal. We certainly shouldn't treat them as, as the same. They, they are different, um, and they are not equal. Um, our, our love, this goes back to the, talking about idolatry and some of the passages we read, but our love for God always needs to, to surpass um, everything else. Third is we need to understand that God loves other nations as much as he loves ours. God cares as much about Syrian uh, refugees as he cares about us. Uh, cares as much about families that are fleeing uh, poverty and violence in South America as he cares about people who are born here in the United States. But God loves other nations as much as he loves ours. He loves other people as much as he loves us. And then last of all, uh, we need to use the freedoms that we have to advance the kingdom of heaven. I have an opportunity to practice. some. Every other sermon that I give, I practice over at Oakwood. So I do a Bible study there every other Thursday, and it's a practice run for my Sunday sermon. And sometimes I will practice a sermon, and I'll say, man, that went pretty well. I'll just use that just, just like it is. And other times I'll practice a sermon, and I'll say, that was a train wreck. I need to go home and start over. Um, so one thing, that when I went through this at Oakwood, there's one person who said, um, are we supposed to apologize for our faith? And the answer to that is absolutely no. We are to throw all of our efforts, all of our energy, into advancing the kingdom of Jesus Christ. We should proudly proclaim our love for Jesus and all that he has done for us. Um, nothing to apologize for but we need to keep our faith and our nationality separate and keep our faith at a higher level of priority. Hey, this is hard stuff to, to talk about. So a number of the messages in the series will be. Some are not going to be quite as challenging. I have a couple of series that are coming up. When I finish this series, 
I'm going to do one on um, how to understand and use the Bible. So one sermon is going to be the Old Testament in one sermon. You tell the whole, it's, and it's only going to be like 30 minutes long. So what is the Old Testament about? What is the New Testament about? How do we study the Bible and how do we apply the Bible? And then I've got a series coming up on uh, women in the Bible that my good friend Jim Cutler down here said that I should, should be preaching on. So that will be the series coming up after that. Hey, thank you for hanging with me through some tough conversations. I appreciate your willingness to think about things that are, that are hard to think about. Hey, join, join me in prayer as our praise band comes up and gets ready to uh, prepare us for communion. Father, I thank you for the blessings of being an American. Lord, I, I thank you for the beauty of this land um, and the, the magnificent places like the Grand Canyon and the mountains and, and the oceans. We thank you for allowing us to enjoy that. Father, we thank you for the freedoms that we have, uh, freedoms to, to speak our mind and free, freedoms to worship as we see fit. We thank you for that. We pray that you would protect that freedom. Lord, protect the freedom to worship as, as we choose. Father, we also pray that you would give us a, 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 a larger, grander, clearer vision of the kingdom of heaven. Father, help all of our allegiance to be with Jesus Christ and advancing his kingdom. Lord, looking forward to an entire eternity of worshiping you with people from all nations, all languages, all tribes and peoples. We ask this thing, these things in Jesus' name.